Well, there are some things great in life, right? We can all think of great things. I just jotted down a few things last night, things in, in no particular order that are, that are I would describe with, with that adjective, great. Great conversations. And I'm thinking most immediately of some recent conversations I had with all four of my kids. Great fall weather. Uh, I mean, just how gorgeous is this right now, this morning? Great music, whether getting to sing like we have just a few moments ago or things we listen to in the car or at home. Uh, great food and great drink, great relationships, be that family, be it friends, be it church, community, maybe it's neighbors. Um, there's just, again, we could kind of keep rattling things off. And those are just a few things, a, a smackerel, as Winnie the Pooh likes to say, right, of, of some great things that came to mind rather quickly. But like we sang just a moment ago in this, this one of the new songs we've introduced to, to you, Something Greater has come. That something greater is, in fact, a someone. And as I mentioned even last week, Jesus in Matthew 12, speaking of himself, said that something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. And he was speaking of himself. He is the greater something that that has come. And so while there are great things, great blessings, we would say, he remains the greater thing. And so we, we keep talking about this. This is our third message now this morning in the book of Hebrews. And so I just want to kind of pose the question. You're hearing me say that. You're hearing it in the songs. In fact, all the songs this morning talked about his name and being exalted and, and who he is. But do we really believe it? More than just, you know, what we mentally give assent to, do we really believe it? Like, like, does it change our life? Because things we really believe, that they, they affect our life. If we, if we believe in something, right, it's going to eventually really show up. Like, stated beliefs are one thing, but how we live really ends up showing what we believe. So, do we really believe that Jesus is greater than all of his blessings, than things in this life? I, I just pose that to us. It's something I've got to answer as well. Well, as I said, we are a few weeks into this series in the book of Hebrews. And by the way, um, I had ordered initially 20 of those Hebrews scripture journals, uh, thinking maybe five or six of you would take them. Uh, They all went that first week, so we had more the next week, and those all went, and I ordered more, and Amazon let me down. I am uh, letting you know, they don't usually let me down. Usually it seems like things arrive in minutes from when I order them, uh, but uh, they did not deliver in time. So if you were hoping to get one of those journals, we will hopefully have some more next week. Uh, But we are in this book. Hebrews. And the theme is Jesus is greater. Quick review, uh, in case you uh, weren't here for the first couple of messages. Uh, The first message two weeks ago, the opening four verses, they communicated to us, Jesus is greater. And he's greater because of who he is and what he's done. That is his person and his work. And they just summarize in a magnificent, really in the original language, it's one sentence. For us, we break it into four verses. Just a magnificent statement of his person and his work and how he is greater because of that. Again, I would put out to you, memorize that. Maybe make that be a challenge of four verses to just meditate on and chew on and put to memory. It would be 
good for you to to have that uh, at your disposal. Then last week, we continued into chapter 1, started into chapter 2, and we saw that Jesus is greater than angels, greater than those heavenly beings. He's superior to them. We noted that he has a better name than angels, and the name we have, in fact, we haven't seen the name Jesus yet in Hebrews. We'll, We'll get it today. But the name that we've heard is Son, and by being the Son, it's a greater name than angels have. We saw that he has a better position and ministry than angels, although angels have quite a position and quite a ministry. They, they are sent out to serve us, the scriptures say, and they, they do a lot of things. They're announcers and messengers doing what God wills, and they, they are magnificent. Every time they show up in the Bible, people are terrified and fall down. But, but Jesus is greater. The Son is greater. And by the way, let's not forget, this writer has been pouring on the Scriptures. In fact, we saw seven Scriptures last week, these, these uh, three pairs of two, and then the seventh quote from Psalm 110 that, that show how all along the Old Testament was telling us of, of this greater one. So he has a better name. He has a better position in ministry. Then we saw that he rules. The Son rules everything, including the angels. And then we ended last week getting into chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Uh, Therefore, because Jesus is greater than the angels, the, the writer has a warning for us. And, and what we said, and it's just pulling from the text, we are not to drift from or neglect him and his salvation. It's a warning. Don't drift away. It's so easy to drift, right? We, no one drifts closer to God. Oh, wouldn't it be nice? But no, we have to be intentional about pursuing him, the one who's greater, and his salvation, what he brings us. And we, we talked about that, that admonition. And we'll come back to that again today. Before we, though, get to that today, we need to return to angels once more. And in fact, these verses we're looking at, verses 5 to 9, I'll read them in just a moment. You need to think of them as a transition passage. So just five verses for our our attention in the few minutes we have today. But they're a transition passage. The author's going to continue to remind us about the sun being greater than angels. And it's going to set up for, Lord willing, next week where we see what it means for Jesus to have come and how he, because he's come, he is this great high priest, and, and there's so much that we're going to learn next weekend and the weeks to come that means for us because of what he has done in coming. So this passage returns us to angels and kind of acts as an arc uh, transition passage. So one more time this morning, if you're taking notes, here's kind of our main idea. Jesus is still greater than angels, but then here's the nuance today. He is still greater than angels even if he was for a time positionally lower than the angels. Jesus is still greater than the angels, even if for a time he was positionally lower than the angels. So as we did last week, out of respect for God and his word to us, would you stand one more time and follow along as I read Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. You can look on in your copy of the scriptures or the journal. Or just listen as I read Hebrews 2, again, verses 5 through 9. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? 
You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray once more. Father, open your word to us, please. Would you illuminate the scriptures so that our hearts say yes and amen to what you've said in this passage today. Transform us and may we worship you in response. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Jesus is still greater than the angels, even if for a time he was positionally lower than the angels. And the way we're going to see that, here's a brief outline, even again for uh, our our time today. Verse 5 is going to give us a brief introduction to to this idea. And then we're going to have a quote. This is going to be the eighth Old Testament quote. We're not even into chapter 3, and here we go again. The writer has for us a quote from Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 to 6. And then the interpretation and application of that psalm. So again, this morning, to kind of guide our, our time, a brief introduction, verse 5, a quote from Psalm 8, in verses 6 and 8, and then the interpretation and application of that quote in verses 8 and 9. So let's look first at this brief introduction, verse 5. So I've already mentioned how last week, as we got into chapter 1, verses 5 through 14, just in chapter 1 alone, we have seven times that the author pulls from the Old Testament to, to, to make his point, right? He says in verses 1 to 4, Jesus is greater because of who he is and what he's done. But then he says, now the scriptures say, and the scriptures say, and it wasn't to angels that he said, but it was to the Son. And, and the, the writer just builds this monumental case to show us that the scriptures all along have been saying that the Son is greater than angels. That seventh quote was in Hebrews 1.13, quoting Psalm 110, verse 1. So I want you to look back at that. I want us to hear that final Old Testament quote from last week. Verse 13 of chapter 1, it says this, And to which of the angels has he, saying God, to which of the angels has God ever said, and now he quotes Psalm 110.1, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And again, it's a rhetorical question. And there's been no angel that God ever said that to. That was said by God the Father to God the Son, Now, if we were to skip for a moment, verse 14 of chapter 1 and 1 to 4, and roll right into verse 5, notice how the thought continues. So verse 5 of chapter 2. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. And so right here he would still kind of be going, the same thought. It's not to angels, but it was to the Son. And he once again wants to continue that thought. But we, we have these verses Right in the middle, our ending text last week, one fourteen to two, one to four. Well, 
I can relate to the author. Sometimes I'll be talking to my kids or my wife or you or anyone, and I'll be making a point, and then I'll say something, and I'll need to do a little tangent for a moment and make an application or say something. I haven't left my train of thought, but I need to just kind of come over here for a second and say some other things, and then I'm going to jump right back in and continue where I left off. Now, my point in saying all that is we're going to come back to 2, 1 to 4 again because I think it still is the application of all of this. We need to take care lest we drift from and neglect this one who is greater. But the author is not done talking to us about angels, okay? And so uh, we jump from that quote of Psalm 110 there in chapter 1, verse 13, to now uh, this, this look at verse uh, Hebrews 2, 5. He sets it up, and then he's going to quote for us from Psalm 8. So once again, Hebrews 2, verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. So, so the writer now is saying, look, so not only do the, does, does the son have a greater name, does he have a better position in ministry, not only does he rule the angels, but in fact, everything, including the angels, are subject to him, okay? It was not to angels that God subjected, made submissive the world to come, of which we are speaking. This, this idea of being subjected is going to show up four times in this passage. Not only does Jesus do all of that, but in fact, no, Everything is subjected to him and, and the world to come. This was a, a way of speaking in, in the Jewish expression of the future age. You might remember we noted a couple of weeks ago that these last days, the author brought that up. We are in these last days. You don't need to wait for the last days. We have been in them since Jesus came. Once he arrived, the end times began and, and there's this beginning, this inauguration of the last days, but we wait the consummation of it, or what he calls here, the world to come, this idea of when salvation reaches its climax. It's the now and not yet, and there's this tension in this passage, we're going to see it over and over again, that, that all things are subjected to the Son, but yet we don't see it totally that way yet. It seems like things aren't subjected to him, but they are because he's been exalted, but we wait. And so it's this, this tension we live in, right? We, we know that by experience. Later on in Hebrews, we're going to hear this when we get to chapter 9, Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. Just that it is appointed for man to die once, that is mankind, humanity, us, right? It's appointed that we die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. That world to come, that second coming, that second showing up of the sun. That, that's the time, this world to come that the author has in mind. So again, we are in the last days, but there is still a future salvation, this world to come. And that leads now to this quote from Psalm 8, verses 4 to 6. So let's look at that in verses 6 through 8a. The writer begins, it has been testified somewhere. Now we read that, and I don't know if you heard my little tone there. It's been testified somewhere. It's almost like 
Well, did he did he forget? You know, did he not look up on his little you know Google search? Where was that reference again? Well, no, he didn't have that. He couldn't do that. Uh, so, he, and, and none of these quotes, right? There were no chapter numbers and verse numbers when when this was written. All that stuff came years, years, years later to help us. But it's also interesting to note this: those those first seven quotes that we've looked at over the last couple of weeks, those were all God speaking about angels or the Son, right? All those references. It was not to angels that God said, but it was to the Son that God said. Well, here we have the introduction of of a human speaking. Psalm 8 is a psalm of David. And Psalm 8, by the way, is a wonderful psalm. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And it goes on. And it gets to these verses that are quoted here in just a moment, verses 4 to 6. It's, it's David speaking, a human speaking, about what God has done. And so the author sets it up by saying, it's been testified, a human, a human spoke. Those other quotes were all God speaking, but now, now it's a human speaking. And that's somewhere where it has been testified is none other than Psalm 8, verses 4 to 6. And here's the quote from that psalm. What is man? What is humanity? What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Psalm Psalm 8, as I said, is just a wonderful psalm of David. And really, it's Part of it is, and this quote here, is a look back, even at Genesis 1, where God makes Adam and Eve and calls humanity to, to subdue, there's that word, subdue the world, to, to, to rule, to have dominion over. And, and David, when he wrote that psalm in his context, in his context, he's, he seems to be reflecting on Genesis 1 and how God made humanity and how there's a splendor to humanity. But, and then that rhetorical question, what is man, God, that you are mindful of him? I can remember as a youth pastor 20 plus years ago, there was a song we sang. I learned it at Hume Lake. It was called Only You. You can look it up sometime. Joel Weldon, I believe, was the author, and Steve Mills, these worship leaders from another generation back. And this song, Only You, posed that very question. What is man that you are mindful of him? What is man that the song lyrics go, that you would touch him with your grace? And again, it's speaking of men and women, using man, the singular there, as a representative. Who are we that God would touch us with his grace? I mean, really? I could just stop. Why are we so special? Well, the answer is in the scriptures. God made Adam and Eve in his image, and we, we are the, the, the apple of his eye, the scriptures say. We are his greatest delight of everything he has made. And that is why he would touch us with his grace and, and be mindful to us. But David, he, he marvels at that. I don't know if you ever marvel at that. God, why? Why would you save me? What, what have I done? I think about that. I know my sins past. I know my sins present. I, I don't know my sins future. <laughs> God does. And, and he would save me? Who am I? So David, in his context, in these verses, asks these, these questions of this 
Lord, who, whose name is majestic in all the earth, who's, who set his glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babies and infants, the psalm says, he has declared praise. And, and then this question, but who are we that you would do this? Who, who are we that you would um, make us lower than the angels, yet you'd crown us with glory and honor? So David is speaking of humanity in general. It seems, though, that when the writer here to the Hebrews is trying to continue to build his point that the Son, remember, that's the only name we know so far. Jesus hasn't shown up yet, but the Son, this name that is greater, he is greater than angels, and this boom, 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 boom set of texts are coming. He recalls this Psalm 8 where this phrase, Son of Man, shows up. Son of Man. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the writer of the Hebrews says, yeah, that, that psalm of David, yes, in its immediate context, speaks of humanity, looking back at Genesis, but, oh, it actually points ahead to the Son of Man. Oh, it's pointing to the Son. The Son of Man. That's a phrase that also goes back to Daniel 7. This, this mysterious figure, Daniel has this vision, right? If some of you know some of the visions in Daniel, this, this one like a Son of Man was going to rule one day. And so that phrase now becomes one of, in fact, Jesus's favorite descriptions for himself. I read one, one writer, I didn't use my computer and do the count, but I'm going to trust this one writer who said that over 80 times in the Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, over 80 times the phrase, the Son of Man, is used to speak of Jesus. Not only he applies that to himself. It was his favorite designation of himself. So the Old Testament prophesied of this one in Daniel, the son of man who would come. David, in speaking of humanity, speaks of son of man, and, and Jesus takes that and says, that's me. That's, and he says, that's my favorite phrase for myself. And now the writer to the Hebrews, looking back at all that, says, yes, yes, in fact, it has been testified what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man? And now that, that same phrase, the son is in mind, that you care for him. And so he's applying verses seven and eight, this to Jesus. God, you, again, David saying it, but the writer of the Hebrews applying it, you made him, the son, for a little while lower than the angels. That is his incarnation. You heard our call to worship this morning from Isaiah, the great Christmas story. Uh, texts, right? This wonderful counselor who would come. It's never too early to think about Christmas, okay? To think about the incarnation, okay? And that's what's going on here. For a little while, when God the Son came in the incarnation and took on humanity, when he became the God-man, he was made for a little while lower than the angels. Yet you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. So humanity is exalted. We are made a little lower than the angels. Oh, we aren't as splendid as, as them in terms of our bodies and their bodies and all of that. But there is a truth that, yes, one day when once we've died and we are resurrected, our resurrected bodies will be greater than angels. But, but this psalm is pointing to the Son. And that leads me finally, briefly, to the interpretation and application of this psalm. So verses 8 and 9, and we've already kind of started into this. So the second part of verse 8 here in Hebrews 2, he's done quoting 
from Psalm 8, and now he says, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. So again, now the writer's saying, God the Father has put everything in subjection to Jesus. Everything is in subjection to him. There's nothing outside his control. Nothing. But there's this reality we are all aware of, and it's the next sentence. At present, right now, going back some 2,000 years when this was written, and continuing to October 10, 2021, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. Right? We, we don't. We see people turn their back on Him. People that have grown up knowing of Him and, and who He is reject Him. We see lawlessness. We, we see the, the ripple effects that sin caused and the ripple effects of just the fall, the fact that we live in a broken and hurtful world. We live in a world where there's disease and sickness. I was talking with someone just this morning of a mutual friend who's, who's fighting cancer and the struggle there. Gloria, you mentioned your fight with cancer. And we're all aware of things like cancer. We're all aware of things like covid People getting sick, people struggling. Where, where are you, exalted one, this son of man? Everything's in subjection to you. We don't see it yet, and we don't. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. No, he continues in verse 9, but we see him, this is the son, who for a little while was made lower than the angels. And here it comes. Namely, Jesus. The writer is, is now saying, look, at the incarnation, at Christmas time, we see the Son for a little while made lower. He came and, and was born and, and experienced all the things that we experience. And in fact, that's going to be a theme we're going to pick up on several times in Hebrews. Jesus knows what it's like to be human. That's, that's part of what makes him our great and true high priest. He, he understands. There's an old Petra song, shout out to 80s Christian rock. Uh, he's been in our shoes, one of their songs said. I remember that song. He, he, and, and again, helping me understand this one that we worship and call our Savior. He, he's not just some lofty, exalted one. He's all that, but he's been in our shoes. He's been in our place. He knows, and, and we're going to see that even Next week, the plan is to get into that here in the next part of chapter 2. But for a little while, he was made lower than the angels. For a little while, verse 9, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, right? For a little while, no, he, he has come, namely Jesus. But even this one who came, he has been crowned with glory and honor. And look what he says here at the end of verse 9. He's been crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. The suffering of death, the cross, is the reason he's been crowned with glory and honor. Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7 put it this way. Speaking of Jesus, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, or clung to, but he emptied himself. Doesn't mean he 
let go of his divinity. He, he still is, when he came, God, 100%. He took on humanity. He let go of the prerogatives, the rights, the privileges. Okay, That's what it's speaking of. By taking the form of a servant, by taking on humanity, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, like we sang earlier today, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That was how the Apostle Paul put it, and the writer here in Hebrews 2, now again, verse 9 is saying, We see him, the Son, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, implication at his incarnation when he came, but he was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. And then this last phrase in verse 9, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. That struck me this week. I found myself wanting it to say something like, so that by the grace of God, he might rule, or by the grace of God, he might reign, or, you know, like, or, but the gra- by the grace of God, he, this, this son named Jesus, might taste death. Do you realize it was the grace of God that, that was the cause for Jesus going to the cross? His obedience, his his, that was the plan, all of that. But the writer here is calling it grace. It was grace. We think of grace as good things. Today is a gracious day for the elders, the pastors. You have blessed us. We, we, we are aware of God's grace. I talk to my kids all the time about look for evidences of grace uh, at school and in life where God is doing things. The cross is an evidence of grace. Listen to that phrase so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus died so that I don't have to die. Not, not, not the physical death that every person dies, but the eternal death. Jesus died so that we can live forever with God. That is grace. That is grace. Jesus is still greater than the angels, even though for a time he was made lower and positionally lower than the angels. Now, let me wrap up with this. I began the message today speaking about a smackerel of great things in my life. Conversations, the weather, music, food and drink, okay? And you have your list, hopefully, of smackerel of great things. But here's the reality. Those are positive great things. Life is filled with great struggles. Life is also filled with great hurt. Life is filled with great sorrow, great loss. Those would be negative great examples. Great is just a modifier. The son, who for a little while was made lower, who was given the name Jesus, who's been crowned with glory and honor, who by the grace of God tasted death for everyone, 
He is greater. He's greater than the good, positive examples. He's greater than the hurts, the sorrows, the hardships, the struggles. The writer to the Hebrews and ultimately God want us to hear that. Whatever you're facing that's great and hard and sorrowful and difficult and hurtful, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. One commentator summed this passage up like this. We should marvel and praise the God of grace who sent his son to die, bringing us to glory as heirs of the world to come. And we're going to catch that phrase next week. Jesus did that and he brought many sons to glory. Many sons and daughters were brought. Jesus did all that. So whatever we're going through, great struggle, sorrow, hurt, painful, we have a great, great one to look to, to worship, to to turn our eyes toward. And now back to that warning at the start of the chapter. Therefore, because Jesus is still greater than angels, even though for a little while he was made positionally lower, we need to take care. We need to make sure that we don't drift from and turn away from him and his salvation. So again, like I said last week, the ordinary means of grace. Take your copy of God's word and spend time hearing God speak. There's something about the self-attesting nature of the Bible. There's lots of evidence and proof that this book is trustworthy, and we should study that. And I love apologetics, and it has a wonderful place in our life. We were watching something last night uh, on television, and as we get closer to Christmas, right, and closer to Easter, there's always these experts who are going to come on the History Channel and National Geographic, and they're going to tell us that we can't trust this, and they're going to have all these supposed reasons why you can't, and they're experts, right? I mean, they should know, but but no, there's plenty of proof for that. This book has made it 2,000 years, and I would commend you to read up uh, books, and I'll have some recommendations in the weeks to come. So, so there's a place for the evidence, but what I'm saying is God's Word for the Christian, for most of you, is self-attesting. As you spend time in this, you will realize that this is God speaking, and it'll You'll just know, and that's not circular logic. Again, I'm, there's a place for the evidence, but, but for those who have been born by this word, born again by the word of God, the more we read this, the more we're going to go, oh, yes, yes. And our spirits will say yes and amen to what God has said. So that's one of the ordinary means of grace. One of the ways we cannot drift from just by by taking and reading or listening. So I commend again and again, spend time in the word of God, spend time in prayer, corporate worship like this, time with believers, spurring one another on. You all talked about, many of you, our community being an authentic community. That's important. We need to be able to admit to one another that we're struggling and we have challenges and we need others to come alongside and pray for and point us back to this one. Point us back to the Son, because He is greater. Something greater has come. Would you stand as I close this in prayer? Heavenly Father, I ask that we would believe 
that we would believe so that it changes us and affects us, that you, Jesus, are greater than anything else, greater than the great joys that we have, and there's many, but you are greater also than the greatest struggles and hurts and sorrows. May we turn our eyes to you. May we seek you and find you and may may the self-attesting nature of your word transform us so that we truly believe it. Today, this week, and the weeks to come. We need your help and thank you that you provide it. Thank you for the spirit that indwells us. In Jesus' name, amen.